Hello and welcome to Death Nerve, a horror movie podcast. I'm Rob Saunders and in this podcast I just talk to various funny and interesting people about horror films. In this episode I talk to science fiction, fantasy novelist and comic book writer Dan Abnett about Night of the Demon and The Devil Rides Out. Dan Abnett is an amazing writer with a hugely impressive CV under his belt including various 2000 AD strips, notably Sinister Dexter, Kingdom, as well as Judge Dredd, Strontium Dog, all the classics, several Torchwood and Doctor Who novels. Warhammer and Warhammer 40,000 novels like the Eisenhorn series, Gaunt's Ghost series, Aquaman, Superman, Batman for DC Comics, and for Marvel there's Punisher, Scarlet Witch, Guardians of the Galaxy, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, Dad's written loads of stuff. I let Dan choose two films for this episode, both are occult-themed classics, there's 1957's The Night of the Demon, and uh, Hammer's The Devil Rides Out. We had a great chat about those films, and how horror is closely linked to sci-fi and fantasy, and how it's influenced Dan's work over the years. Yeah, thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Cheers. My first question is always, are you a horror film fan? Are you a fan of horror? Uh, Yes, and also no. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I do like horror very much. And when, if somebody asked me that question straightforwardly, I go, well, of course, yes, of course. It's one of the Trinity of, of genre that, that overlaps science fiction, fantasy, and horror. There is such an amazing Venn diagram overlap between those. It's impossible to like two of them and not like the other. Um, and so, I, so I am, uh, oddly when it comes to horror movies, uh, I sort of don't watch as many as you'd expect, uh because the whole point of horror is to put you into a state of tension or make you jump or horrify you and that's not necessarily particularly these days what i'm looking for when i sit down to (laughs) (laughs) to watch something so i tend not to watch as much as i might do so my 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 knowledge of horror is 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 lamentable um uh but i do like it and i've realized that when i think about it i go actually i've watched a lot and i like a lot and i like all sorts of different things and and horror often informs my work as well in 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 all sorts of different ways. So so it's 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 one of those things where I don't participate in it as much as I should, but I do like it. Um, and and I find that this is a, a massive oversimplification. But you know, horror seems to me in movies certainly to divide into very into two very clear distinct types, which is the number one is the sort of psychological horror where actually there's nothing nothing particularly terrifying except it's terrifying. Uh, and then there's the sort of explicit gory horror, which is there to sort of disgust and, and shock you. Um, and I'm, I, and again, I would say I'm not really a fan of the latter. I don't don't go around looking for for sort of gore fest films all the time in terms of horror, except that I have watched and enjoyed many. You know, I sort of, um, at one point in my career, I even wrote a, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre a comic. Uh, which required me to watch the actually the comic was a spin off of the um, of the modern remake, but I thought I'm going to go back and watch the original because everybody says the original's great, and I, it's something I'd always avoided. And I watched it, and it's an absolutely superb piece of filmmaking. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. And I, I sort of surprised myself, and I went, oh, you know, I can I can watch things like that. So there are there are many gory horror films that I have very very much enjoyed, but I don't necessarily go out of my way to look at them. Somebody says, oh, there's a great film you've got to see. It's amazing, and I go, oh, that doesn't sound like my cup of tea. On the other hand, the sort of psychological horror movie the movies that scare you i think are are truly brilliant and it's something i'd almost like to have a go at myself but something like i don't know even something like the innocence uh from the the 
uh, Henry James' Turn of the Screw, where sort of nothing happens at all, but it's one of the most terrifying things you've ever seen in your life. You know? I, do, I do like that. I think it's extremely clever to manipulate the emotions of the audience by, do, by doing subtle things rather than really grotesquely obvious things. So if, if I had to pick a moment from um, a horror movie that I think epitomises the sort of horror I like, it would be in the George C. Scott movie, The Changeling, where the ball comes bouncing down the stairs. That just brilliant because it's a it's a ball bouncing down the stairs. How terrifying could that be? But yeah. in context, it is absolutely terrifying. All, all those all those moments where I've got something about uh, I've always had something about something going past doorways. So of course in Exorcist Three, the moment where the nurse appears suddenly. Another George C. Scott film. Another yes. Yeah, another <laughs> but both of those, it's it's as much what you can't see or what is implied. Yeah. That it is that it is what you can see. So uh, so yeah, that's very much where I sit with horror. In terms of horror stories, reading horror, I I mean, if, since I was very young, I mean, the obvious things like Lovecraft and everything like that. But but you know, sort of, I've, I've I've devoured horror stories gleefully. I think I I think in terms of horror, I tend to prefer supernatural and therefore ghost stories. Um, M.R. James being a particularly brilliant uh, example, which of course neatly segues into. One of the things I picked for today, but that's, I mean, that's not the reason. It is that uh, I love the BBC's Ghost Stories at Christmas when they adapted uh, mm. um, uh, M.R. James stories because they've got that sort of, um, uh, uh, what's the right word for it? Sort of eerie, eerie sense, often, often sort of rooted in folklore or landscape or stuff like that, which I, I think is, uh, is particularly compelling. So it's weird. I, I, you know, I, in the one hand, I count myself as definitely an aficionado. On the other hand, go, I don't know nothing about what I'm talking about because yeah. it's not a genre I, I often find myself consciously steering into. But I think it's, I think that's the true nature of horror is it underpins so much of everything else. Um, yeah, definitely. And like you said, it is definitely part of the, the science fiction fantasy. It's in the same sort of ballpark, isn't it, really? So I guess when you're involved in that, you're sort of by default involved with horror and to some extent i guess so yeah yeah absolutely um i say there have been times where i've uh I've, I've i've myself written stuff in 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 the context of science fiction where i go no that's just that's just horror that's a ghost story or a <laughs> horror story in the science fiction clothes that's you know so it's um it, i think it's weird i think science fiction and fantasy are genres where uh, whereas horror is a state of mind that is to say horror is like an ingredient that can be placed in to greater or lesser extents in other things to enormous effect. And occasionally, if you have a lot of it, then it becomes horror as its own genre. Do you know what I mean? It's a, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm just making this stuff as I go along. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it all makes sense to me. I think it's all sense. Well, like, like you said, the films that you've... I let you pick two films. Um, and uh, so you picked uh, The Devil Rides Out, the Hammer film, and yeah. uh, Night of the Demon. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I, Why were those two films? Well, a number of well, mainly because well, a number of things. Number one, they're two of my favourites. Uh, around about Halloween every year, when I think oh, it's about time we watch a horror film because it's Halloween, it's almost always one or other or both of them mm. that get picked, um, and they don't lose their impact no matter how many times you've seen them. Uh, and I picked both of them simply because I couldn't choose between them as to which one I like the most. But I felt confident in suggesting two because I think they're very similar. They have an enormous amount of common ground that they explore in very different ways. And I've often seen them as sort of companion pieces 
um, sort of uh, sort of stylistically executed in very different ways. I mean, very much of their of their own their own kinds. But I, I think they are they are very very sort of sort of very similar. I mean, they're they're both about uh, you know sort of a scholarly academic hero trying to save the day against infernal magic that is of a complex riddle-like nature, um, but, but pitted against a charismatic evildoer who is out to get him. And I just think those, those two things are, are, um, are, are very, very similar. Um, and, and I think despite the fact that both are now old and creaky films, they both retain a, uh, a sense of menace real menace at certain points there's 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 the, 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 that sort of um subtlety i was talking about both have very very obviously lurid moments but there are there are subtle moments where i think the true menace is uh, is contained but they're, they're very much uh, each a product of their own era you know uh and i think it's it's you know I, I i it would be a stretch but you could almost imagine that they were both adaptations of the same story that have been taken in completely different directions by um, by different filmmakers, uh, which I think is is interesting. But um, I can't remember when I first saw Night of the Demon. Uh, it's a long, long time ago, and obviously that's the one that's based on M.R. James. Yeah. Uh, and and bears little resemblance to the casting of the runes. Let's face it; there are much, much <laughs> more faithful ad- adaptations available for you to for you to watch, um, uh, because it obviously translates that kind of late Victorian, Edwardian, East Anglian. Jamesian setting to to what was at the time modern England in almost a sort of glamorous jet set way uh, and, and casts uh, it's Dana Andrews isn't it as as, as the yeah. sort of the scheduled American hero clearly placed the film to give the film some international appeal although I think <laughs> yeah. he acts himself perfectly well it's not a it's not a problem it's totally believable it's like oh what, what are you doing here it's almost like they have to send an American over to to explain folklore to the British. <laughs> Um, but yes it's um i mean it's it's qualities i think are for a start it's extraordinary um cinematography the photography in the film is brilliant this the the black and white stuff i mean the 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 director had worked with um val luton on things like cat people so he's got it's got that genuinely noir irish feel of solid blacks and deep darknesses and a wonderful tonal quality so it's sort of a quite it's quite classy in other words for for what what was essentially a 50s b movie it's quite classy um, and uh, uh, there is there is obviously, and this it has this in common with uh, the Devil Rides Out as well. There obviously is there are many critics of its special effects, uh, including some members of the cast. I understand that they actually there was yeah. there was a great resistance to putting a monster in it at all. I, I wonder I wonder if if they had resisted the temptation again. I'm sure it was done for commercial reasons that oh, we must have a monster in this film if they'd resisted the temptation whether night of the demon would be genuinely regarded as a classic film mm. because of its subtle understatement and uh, and and, and the, the the suggestions that it, get, it gets away with but as it is there's a dirty great monster in it and <laughs> a lot of people object to it because it's clearly a model uh but i don't weirdly I, and my argument would sort of be the same that i would apply to uh of all things blade runner I love Blade Runner. I saw Blade Runner when Blade Runner came out on its first cinematic um, release. So I saw the original theatrical cut with voiceover and everything. And and I I am I apologise wholeheartedly, but I, that is my favourite version. I've seen every other version, and I can see that there are storytelling superiorities and in, in you know and sophistications and subtleties in in later versions of Blade Runner. But that original director's that original theatrical cut is my favourite, compromises and all. 
Uh, and I can't shake that. So if I watch Blade Runner now, I go back to the original. And the same with, with Night of the Demon. It's got monsters in it, so enjoy the monster. I mean, it's actually quite a good model. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think it looks great. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's quite a good model. There are a couple of moments where it's clearly a mechanical thing being operated by people off, off panel. But that in itself, I think because it's a black and white film, gives it a really kind of creepy... Um, quality like uh uh like a like a marionette or something like that it's got that sort of uh um uh what's it called uh the sort of uh, uh ghost train type thing about yeah. about it that it's, it's moving around and, and and whilst you're going well it's a model but it's a terrifying model it's like a puppet come to life that's something terrifying and i think all of that stuff is done extremely well i mean the um the noises and particularly the precursor noises to its appearance and the and the odd twinkling lights I think are genuinely effectively disturbing moments, and of course uh, gives gives rise to the the line that comes up in um, uh, uh, which is it cloud busting or hands of love with the Kate Bush hands of love which which was weird because I I I clearly had seen the film before I heard the record mm. uh, because when that appeared on the record I immediately knew where where she borrowed that from. See, I was down very round because I, I, it was, I actually only saw um, Night of the Demon first time this week um, because watching it for the podcast. And uh, again, as soon as that came in, I was like, it's Kate Bush, I know. That. <laughs> <laughs> <It's all right. laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's a very, very weird thing to sample, but it's, uh, it's, um, I was actually, actually, I was relieved to discover that um, uh, Night of the Demon makes it onto Martin Scorsese's top 10 list of horror movies. Yes. He, he rates yeah, it yeah. very highly. I, Hopefully, for the sort of reasons that that I give, but it's it, I, it, I think it's a great, a great. It's actually it's a great it's a great story that makes perfect logical sense. It's got an enormous tension that builds towards the end in terms of the um, the the predicament that they've got to get out of and how they get out of it. I, I think the monster, if you if you let go and give into the film, the monster is properly frightening, and certainly its its affect and its sound effects are frightening. But just the whole idea. Uh, that sort of uh, you know, sort of marked for death that you can't escape it is 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 a brilliant thing. And to me, the absolute central brilliant thing about the film um, is Niall McGuinness as as Carswell. Is you know is the you know the 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 the, um, the dilettante who is who is essentially behind all of this thing. Who is I think he's a massively underrated actor. Um, and in this, he is at his absolute finest as this sort of. Uh, almost affable guy when you first meet him um there's that very creepy scene where they go to the go to the house and there's the children's party and he's the clown which is you know it's like pulling on every single phobia you could possibly imagine but he comes across as a genuinely sort of sad man who's trying to be jolly um which is which is just you know sort of covering the darker you know he's when his malignancy comes out it's 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 sort of um it's sort of churlish and, and very unpleasant and sort of spiteful. Yeah. And I think he's just great. I think he's really, really great. I think the film would be a damn sight weaker if it didn't have such a charismatic villain. Yeah, uh, definitely. Which, I, I really like the fact that he's so open about, like, he does, there's no, like, he's not hiding what he's doing. He's no. just open. Like, oh, yes, I, I can control this. I'm doing this. And I love the fact that, the you know, um, uh, the main character in it is is such a skeptic. He doesn't believe him. He must say it must be something else. And he's openly telling him, "No, this is what I'm doing. I'm mm. I worship get the demons, and I'm doing this to you." Uh, yeah, I think that's brilliant. Such a great way of doing it. Yeah, I th I think so. I think it, 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 yes, that openness is is and and that openness also emphasizes how uh, how powerful 
uh, the things are that he's playing with, that he's that confident that he can say, he can say this to anybody, knowing that nobody can touch him or he thinks nobody can touch him, which I think is, is really clever. Um, yeah, I just, I just think he's great in that. It, 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 it's sort of one of the reasons that draws me back to it every, every single time. Um, I also love the fact that structurally, even more than the original story, it's, it's very much, uh, uh, it's almost like, a, I don't know, a classic Call of Cthulhu role-playing game adventure, you know, sort of d- 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 academic hero discovers problem, goes to museums, researches things, you know, it's a meets, meets strange man who may or may not have, you know, all that kind of stuff. It, it, it follows that pattern. It's, it, it's, um, it's, got, it's got all the makings of, all the tropes, I suppose, of one of those classic stories. Um, uh, and it's sort of slightly refreshing to see it in a, as I said, what was at that point, modern contemporary setting because it's uh it's uh it's just a it's just a it's just a, it's a it's an odd blend of things that i think works extremely well yeah no it is a very good film like i said it's the first time i've ever seen it. it's always one that's been on the radar so it was quite nice for you to give me an excuse to watch it and, you know, I, re- I, <laughs> I, re- I really enjoyed it i thought it was very good and i think the you said the special effects in it re- i think really stand out and the sound like you said i think the sound all throughout the film is what makes that film scary really yes plenty of scenes in that where the sound is like it goes from very noisy to very quiet very suddenly and that always makes me yes. jump which, yeah absolutely yes it, actually that way around very much so going from, from noisy to quiet is is something it does particularly well um for, for, if anybody's listening and, and and hasn't seen it then they must make sure they see night of the demon uh rather than curse of the demon curse of the demon is the version that was released in america in fact i think the dvd my dvd copy has got both versions and Curse of the Demon is essentially the same film with about 10 minutes chopped out of it to make it. <laughs> I don't know what you could lose from such a spare yeah. movie, but it's, it, it, it is just simply a shorter version that was hacked about for, for American audiences. So Night of the Demon is the, is the print that you want to see. But yeah, it's, it's, like I said, it, for, for what superficially is just a 50s B movie, it's got so many great things going for it. Um, um, say not the least of which is is that for what is also conventionally a monster movie, it's got genuine suspense and a sort of crackle of uh, tension and fear and you know all things running through it, which to me make class it properly as horror rather than as science fiction or or adventure or something like that. It, it is the fact that that you are you are you you are chilled at certain moments when those sounds start or like you said those sounds stop. So. Yeah, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it very much. <laughs> yeah, no, I really did. I really thought it was great. And I thought, and again, there was, there was a lot of criticism about the monster being in it. I know the writer and director didn't want there to show any monster, did they? They wanted it to be a lot more mm. subtle. But I think there's something, I just, I love that. The way it looked, the way it sort of moves is so yes. creepy at the beginning. It really, it really took me by surprise because I knew there was like this demon in it, but I didn't realise it would be like one of the first things that happened in the film, you know, straight yeah. out the gate. There's this yeah. uh, demon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it was. I think it was put in, like I said, for the lowest lowest common denominator reasons. It was there to 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 sort of show you something in the same way that the Blade Runner voiceover was there to sort of explain it to people who couldn't be bothered to work it out for themselves. Nevertheless, I think it's very effective. And I think those shots of it, but at the end on the on the train track, where it's sort of bathed in this infernal glow, there's something something really powerful about that. I think it's uh, it's it's uh, yeah. No, I I I think it works yeah. extremely well. Like I, yeah, I read they wanted Ray Harryhausen to do the effects, but he couldn't do it. He was huh? doing, uh, yeah, that, uh, that, Sinbad uh, film, I think. Yeah. Yes, that's interesting. I'm trying to think whether I, I'm a huge fan of Harryhausen. I absolutely, you know, superb. But I wonder whether it would have been as scary if it had had 
stop motion. Do you know what I mean? I, I, there, mm. there was there's something very fluid about uh, Harry House and stuff that um, I'm sure he would have done something spectacular. But I I, th I, I think it's almost the uh, the mechanical nature of the very mechanical effect. Yeah. That makes it quite so creepy. <laughs> Maybe it's just I've seen it too many times, but yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, it's something about the sort of weird puppet like movements of it that is mm. very, like, weird and unsettling. Yeah. 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 And well, the other film you want to talk about, again, it is a very similar film, especially like thematically, is uh, The Devil Rides Out, the Hammer film. Yeah. And why, why that one? Well, again, because I've, I've watched it so many times and I really, really like it. And uh, uh, and again, there are so many different things to like about it. Uh, like, like in the way that Night of the Demon is is a, a, a literally visually beautiful black and white film of the 50s. Uh, obviously, Devil Rides Out is an absolutely vivid, brightly coloured hammer film of the late 60s. I mean, it, is, it, it couldn't be more hammer unless it was actually in sort of period drama. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it, it, apart from the costumes, it's got everything a hammer film. It's got that sort of lurid technicolour look and, uh, you know, overly dramatic music and, <coughs> and sort of, sort of a, a slightly sort of salacious air to it, which I think is, you know, the trademark of hammer. That sort of it, the sense of like, we're just, we're just out, out and out to have fun and, and to to uh, to sort of uh, to feel a little bit transgressive, as if we're making films that we shouldn't, and everything like that, which is the, yeah. sort of, to me what Hammer's all about. But I think it's one of one of Hammer's best films, even though, I, as I understand it, again, the main criticism of it is the special effects, like the Demon in the Night of the Demon. The main criticism of the special effects, where I think apparently they ran out of money towards the end and couldn't <laughs> finish the special effects the way they wanted to. I don't think it matters. I think the film has got um, got extraordinary qualities. Uh, of its own, and and also obviously comes from uh, comes from was a book first. Was M.R. Uh, mm -hmm. James was the, wrote the short story for Night of the Demon. Devil Rides Out comes from the book of the same name by uh, by Dennis Wheatley. Now, I Dennis Wheatley is somebody I read quite a lot of when I was young. Before essentially, I have to say, before I knew better, um, Dennis Wheatley, who was a, is was an absolutely fascinating individual, and and latterly became sort of. Um, completely associated with as the sort of the master of the occult you i think you know he wrote books on witchcraft and stuff like that mm -hmm. and he was regarded as a as an expert but he was a, an absolutely prolific author who wrote hundreds of books romances adventure historical dramas all sorts of different things um he he is very difficult to read today because he was uh, he was a product of his time as they say so often about people um mm -hmm. But he is, he is an author who, like Lovecraft, there are issues involved that you better be aware of before you start reading his books, because otherwise you're in for a, a rude shock. He, he, is, mm. he can be very casually racist and extremely imperialist all the way through. But then he was, uh, he was in his, what, 50s during the Second World War. He served, served, in, um, served in, I think, Army Intelligence or Navy Intelligence, something in the Second World War. He was clearly a clever man and, and widely read, but his attitudes to... The colonies and to foreigners, mm. <laughs> you know, are, yeah. are, are sort of shocking every time they crop up. But even 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 when he's trying to be complimentary, he he, he has a, a dare I say it, a Prince Philip like attitude of saying just the wrong thing uh, in his yeah. books, which is uh, which is which is unfortunate. However, uh, his books are fascinating. He's uh, I'll go further than that. He's not even a great writer. His writing style is extremely ordinary. Um, but what 
makes his books really interesting is that he was clearly a, a very widely read and experienced man who put a lot of things in his stories. So they are, they are full of information. They're full of information that was current in the early part of the last century. But nevertheless, it's, they're, they're chock full of things, which are absolutely fascinating. And he wrote um, a number of books featuring the character of the Duke de Richelieu, who is the character played by Christopher Lee in The Devil Rides Out, who is this uh, gloriously grim uh, investigator of difficulties. <laughs> he's clearly a, a, a man of great knowledge. He's almost, he's almost sort of like a, like a Doctor Who. You know, he's, he's this sort of... Sort of um, unflappable source of of, of, uh, of information where he will just get everybody out of pro problems and usually has an entourage of, of associates around him. And um, The Devil Rides Out is the most famous Duke de Richelieu book. Um, but there were, I think, I, I don't know exactly, but I think there were six or seven of them altogether. And what's really fascinating about that series of books that Wheatley wrote is that they're not all supernatural adventures. They were just adventures about uh, Richelieu and 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 his his uh, his his buddies, the Rex, the American, and Simon, uh, who's played in the film by a young um, Patrick Mower. Uh, he's sort of he's sort of Doctor Who assistants, <laughs> who was <laughs> yeah. help, help And some of them are big sort of espionage adventures, and some of them are different. You know, it, it, I I I I'm pushed to think of another series of books where the characters can gleefully go off and have. A supernatural adventure and think nothing of it and and draw upon Duke de Richelieu's vast knowledge of the supernatural and then go off and have a spy adventure and you know it's, <laughs> as if it's just the same world it's like James Bond suddenly taking on demons it's a very weird <laughs> thing and that was the one they chose to make one of the so 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 what's good about the film there's loads of great things about the film it's 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 a good solid adaptation which with a really good cast it looks gorgeous all the way through it's sort of it's typically staged with that that sort of hammer glamour all the way through um uh any film that's got uh paul eddington of of the good life and yes minister as as a as a as a as someone undergoing uh, uh ritual ceremonies is is got to be great in my book um i think christopher lee i believe christopher lee himself it was one of his favorite films the ones that he made and it is singular because as far as i know it's the only film where he plays the hero yeah He's almost yeah, always because of his aspect and his voice. He's almost always the villain, and and in this he is the perfect hero. I mean, Duke de Richelieu is is, is a sin is quite a sinister man. Nevertheless, he is a hero, a, a very honourable, incredibly honourable and aristocratic man. And I think it's lovely to see him in that role, the sort of role that it would normally fall to Peter Cushing or or, or you know whoever. Um, and I sort of my great regret is that the, the, the film didn't give rise to other films in which it was Duke de Richelieu takes on whatever, yeah. Duke de Richelieu versus Godzilla, whatever, uh, or even a TV <laughs> show. I mean, I, I think it's, yeah. it's the same thing where you could get a you get a great TV show out of it because it, it, it's um, he plays it so well. I um, I had for a while. I don't think I've got them anymore, but I had for a while unabridged audios of him uh, of Christopher Lee reading the novel. Uh, which was delicious because he had such an amazing voice, and he, he's uh, there's lots of the novel that goes into the detail of the rituals and the herbs being used and the things they've got to do, and uh, <coughs> he's just the perfect reader for that. He just just makes it sound so intriguing. And I also had uh, him reading an unabridged version of uh, it's either the prequel or the sequel, but another one in the series, which is called Strange Conflict, which is also is another supernatural. Duke de Richelieu book and it's that is that is an extraordinarily interesting book um 
<coughs> excuse me. Um, uh, it's because it's essentially about him taking on sort of voodoo and 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 sort of uh, black magic and and stuff like that. Um, uh, Strange conflict is is almost unreadable because it it really exposes the the Wheatley's racism in in the worst mm. worst possible way. But it's nevertheless a fascinating book and one of the best best seek best. It's, it's him him. Tr- they're trying to use. Um, the superna- supernatural uh, as a weapon during the Second World War, so he's sort of called in by the Home Office to to uh, uh, to to combat uh, the Nazi use of of the supernatural. And there are several sequences where they where where it's all about astral projection and flying through the air and all this kind of stuff. And there are huge chases in astral form. And I am absolutely convinced that Strange Conflict it directly inspired Doctor Strange. Because it's so yeah. so similar. There's there's a whole bit that is absolutely like the the, the early um, Steve Dicko storylines, where the, the astral form of Doctor Strange is being pursued through aircraft and all sorts of things like that. It, 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 it's weird. So it's sort of worth checking out for that, even if you go into it going, I'm I, you know I will not be offended by the language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, hearing him read is was a great thing. So that's that's Christopher Lee is one of the great reasons for for watching the film. Um, there are several chilling moments. It's a clever story, actually. It's a very clever story with with uh, with, with with I think quite an unexpected twist that uh, that I will not spoil for the purposes of uh, of, of prospective viewers. But it, it goes, it sort of does something that, that that was I think sort of fairly unusual for its time. But like the Night of the Demon, structurally it is very very similar. That is to say, academic scholarly investigator discovers that that a charismatic person is up to no good. And sets out to stop them, and has to use a deep understanding of of supernatural ritual in order to thwart what goes on. So they are very, very similar in that regard. Uh, and and so the charismatic villain in The Devil Rides Out is Mokata, who is played by Charles Gray. And and if 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 you know, like Niall McGuinness as as uh, Carswell in Night of the Demon, he's just brilliant. In fact, as far as I'm concerned, he's not on screen enough. Uh, they, they are they are cut from the same cloth. I think I think McGuinness is more um, more timid and sort of uh, scared when he's uh, he's sort of uh, with the odds against him. But Charles Gray's I mean he he ended up playing Blofeld at one point I think. So so Charles Gray's got this malevolent screen plan presence, but he's so uh, bade and charming, and again has a fantastic voice. And he lives in a mansion in the country, and and you know he's, they, they, they could be you know brothers, <laughs> yeah, of, yeah, or part of the same secret society or something. But again, <laughs> yeah. what I love about both films is they both got tremendous villains played with with enormous spirit, um, which uh, uh, which makes them almost more interesting than the heroes. Certainly, I think Carswell is more interesting than than Dana Andrews' yeah. hero, um, but Charles Gray is a great foil for. Christopher Lee. I mean, yeah. about the only person who could stand up against him and have the same sort of sinister presence. So I think that's, um, I think that's great. And there, there are there are some really spooky moments in The Devil Rides Out. Again, to me, spooky because the special effects aren't that good. I think when I was yeah. younger and I watched it, I was more convinced by them. But even now, knowing how hokey and ba- bad back projection and this, that, and the other they are, there is something. There is something chilling in it about them. So, in the same way that I think the Night of the Demon reveals of the monster, the explicit reveals of the monster in Night of the Demon work despite their limitations, because they do have that kind of fairground marionette quality, which makes them creepy. I think the 
sort of the most horrible reveal moments in in The Devil Rides Out work because they are they are clearly not real. They are clearly enlarged film of a spider or uh, some some dude on a horse with a skull in his suit of armor or whatever, whatever it is. But because it because it's all about illusion and it, because it's all about the power of suggestion and what the mind can do to itself. To me, they have that sort of dreamlike quality where where the where the where the crapness of the effects uh, emphasizes the sort of psychedelic hallucin- hallucinatory experience that they're going under because they, they obviously they they spend the second half of the film trapped in a magic circle with all these things coming in to tempt them in the various creepy ways uh, to to break the chalk circle and get out of it and and um, and I think that works in its favour. I think if the special effects had been better, it might have been more obviously frightening and but less 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 creepy. I mean, they, they, they're stuck in this all night, so they, they, there's the sense of sleeplessness and exhaustion and and sort of you know dreaming with your eyes open and things like that. Yeah. And, I, and to me, the special effects remind me of um, of of bad dreams when you when you have a really unpleasant dream and you wake up and you can remember it vividly and then you go, why was I frightened of that? Do you know what I mean? Where in the dream it was something very frightening, but when you wake up, although you can remember exactly what it was, you don't know why you were frightened of it in the dream because it was the context of the dream. And similarly, the the imagery of of the Devil Rides Out is not frightening out of context. If you show people pictures of the the, the scary bits, they're going to go, "That's just ridiculous." <laughs> but in the context of the film, you 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 really buy into it. And I do think that for all its strangeness. The uh, when there's the bit about midway through where they where they go to the sort of outdoor gathering, the um, the, the summoning, and they and they where they summon the goat of Mendez, which only <laughs> Christopher Lee can get away with saying in a <laughs> yeah. voice. But I think that is really scary, and I think the goat of Mendez is really scary because it's so unexpectedly um, uh, blatant, I suppose. You're expecting something that's going to be slightly more theatrical if you're going to see anything at all. And to see that thing just perched on the rock, staring at you, uh, I remember it really scaring me when I was younger. Uh, and it's, I think it still has the power to do that. I think it, there's, there's almost a sense that you're, you're getting a good look at something you shouldn't be seeing um, that, that, that sort of excels anything that have been done by better films with better special effects. I just yeah. think there's something tremendously powerful about that. So... So yes, I think they make for uh, they make for a fine brace of films, uh, which I, I say I, the number of times I've watched them back to back in either order, and not mm. felt not felt halfway through the second one like oh my god I'm watching the same story again because <laughs> because although there are great similarities they are absolutely couched in the qualities and styles of the eras that made them, and they bring to that. Very high quality versions of those things. So you know, a, a a 1968 beautifully Technicolor Hammer film with Charles Gray and Christopher Lee. How good is that? And then and then and then a 1957 black and white film shot by Val Luton's director of cinematography in glorious black and white with um, Niall McGuinness and amazing. You know, it's like it's like I, I suppose what I'm saying is they're both to me far they far exceed. The, the the sum of their parts they're they're both sort of better yeah. and more effective than they ought to be uh which yeah. is why they both both linger in my mind 
Um, there are, I'm sure, sort of better made Hammer films, um, technically better Hammer films. And, and as a fan of ham, Hammer movies, there are a lot I can think of that I really, really like. Um, but I can't think of one that has quite such a psychological impact as a sort of uh, sort of a sense of fear. Hammer, Hammer films, despite their horror, to me are, are always more about sort of uh shock and adventure and 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 a sense that uh, uh you know it's a little bit uh, it's the sort of film that shoots a little bit too old for you this is a bit a bit grown up you know it's a bit lurid mm -hmm. a bit bloody and everything like that but but very seldom have that that sense of uh of sort of chilling fear that ling lingers after the film is finished i don't know if you felt that felt that about it but it's uh, yeah definitely well I, I think again like you say most hammer films to me i have always reminded me of action movies the way they mm. cut, the way they're paced, it's very action packed. And there was a bit of that in there's obviously like quite a good car chase in the, the Devil yeah. Rides Out, okay. <laughs> Which again quite rare for a hammer film, a car yeah, chase. Absolutely. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Um but it definitely had more again, more affecting horror in it. And I think mm. it was the sort of the creepiness of the special effects and the um just that the underlying like occult vibe of it. And just I think Christopher Lee, just Christopher Lee could sell anything really, he's such a good actor. Yes. Um I think the special effects being so like a bit shonky, it doesn't matter because you've got Christopher Lee reacting to them so well, and the other actors obviously. But yeah, just you know, he sells it. He's just he is just amazing and such a presence on screen. Yeah, he is. No, he is a real presence on screen, and yes, and the rest of the cast is very good. Uh, the um, particularly Patrick Mower and and Paul Eddington. Uh, you're right. I hadn't thought about it that way, but it is actually often the actors' reactions to the things they're seeing that makes the things more terrifying. And both of them react very well. I think Paul Eddington in the film is particularly good at conveying... He, he's, he's the, Paul Eddington's character is almost the, uh, the, the, the viewer's touchstone, that is to say, the, the, the surrogate, the, the, sort of at, at the, at the character we relate to, because he's a normal, very rich guy, but he's a normal guy living in a normal house who is suddenly invaded by all of this and, and just goes, goes along with it and tries to help his friends, but he's genuinely shocked by the things that are presented to him, because they're completely out of his remit. He's not lived in this world, which I think is nice. And Patrick Mower's character, who is who is sort of the instigator of it all by getting dragged into Charles Gray's uh, uh, circle of, uh, of, of darkness, um, he's really good at communicating a sense of terror that he has bitten off more than he can chew, that he is... He, you know, this is all his fault, and and there's no way he can escape it, which I think is, uh, is good. And again, interesting from him, because he's an actor that, through the... <clears throat> through the 70s and 80s you associate as being the you know the handsome leading man who you know very brave and courageous who would do the right thing and that kind of stuff but he's not he's, he's almost he's not he's not a coward but he's quite timid in that and i think it's an interesting role to see him in yeah definitely and i i think also christopher lee's character in uh, the devil rides out when you compare it to the main character in um night of the demon it's sort of the opposite whereas like i said dana andrew's character is very much a skeptic and doesn't believe anything he's yeah. told, even if he's being explicitly told it. Whereas Christopher Lee, he is, he's the one that drives people said, no, this is happening. You have no idea how, what the stakes are here. This is evil incarnate. You know, yes. he's very much like, this is bad. This is actually going to happen. This is, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I haven't read all of the Duke of Richelieu books, but there, there, there's always, the character is always accompanied by a sense that he has, in his time, in his past, had to deal with such dark things that he has this explicit knowledge of uh, of, of it all, and uh, and and he's just this, this this kind of 
this stern warning that he gives that no one should muck around with anything, you know, because he, uh, you know, I'm telling you this because I know, which I think is, again, serves to underline the point about what they're dealing with is dangerous. Again, now that's what you say there is an interesting point, because in that respect, except for the side that, that he chooses to stand on, Christopher Lee's character has much more in common with Charles Gray and, and Niall McGuinness in Night of yeah. the Demon, in as much as he knows all about it, you know, sort of, yeah. uh, and speaks about it in a very matter of fact way. But it's, um, yeah, no, it, it's very interesting. He has, and for my mind, he does have that that, that quality, therefore, of a sort of uh, a Doctor Who we never got. That he knows far more than his friends realise he knows because he's seen far more. And then every now and then he'd come out with something and he'd go, "You can't, great, great, Scott man, you can't mean that." And he go, "Well, actually, not only do I mean it, but I've seen it myself." Yeah. Which, uh, yeah. And I think when you have a character like that, that is like someone, especially like someone who's like. So, again, like I said, such a presence on screen and a physical presence. He was yeah. a ginormous man. man. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. When you have someone like that terrified of something on screen throughout the film, it makes it scarier because you yeah. think, well, if Christopher Lee's scared of it, it must be bad. It's Christopher Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, no, I think similar to um, Donald Pleasant's character in Halloween as well. Like throughout that film, he is very much the sort of character that says, "This is like he is evil." Michael mm. Myers is evil, and I think he really sells the fact that that film's scary because. You believe Donald Pleasance and throughout that film. I think that no, you're, you're absolutely right, and I think that makes a very good point about 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 uh, probably about horror generally, but certainly about the operation of horror films. Is that is that that for a horror film to work, essentially, the the reader, the viewer, has to be very receptive to what's going on. It, the, the, you know, you can't just sit back and go along for the ride like you can in say a big science fiction movie or something like that. It is it, a horror film is failed dismally if it hasn't provoked a, a genuinely visceral reaction in you by the end of its running time uh and and it's surprisingly few of them do that when when one comes along and does it uh, the last one i can remember watching that did that for me was um it follows which mm. i thought was uh was incredibly effective again by being so small scale in terms of what it was doing and then obeying its own logic when the push came to shove but again it's, so it, it, it's that kind of it's that kind of setting up a simple rules at the beginning of a story and then absolutely sticking to them all the way through. But but horror horror is meant to provoke a visceral response. So actually, the real strength or failing, indeed, of, of a horror movie is the, the quality of the actors in it who are either the sources of exposition or the ones that we need to see their reactions from. Because just screaming is not enough. You know, it is, it's, it's like, as you say, to see a man of Christopher Lee's stature or, or Donald Pleasance's clear in intellect being dumbfounded and terrified by something is far more effective than than having idiots running around going, oh, I can't get away from the monster. You know, I think that's the it, it, you you need. I think you need anchors like that in a film in order to give you some sense of level as to where you where you should respond to. I think that's that's always been the case in Mr. James's stories and in the BBC's adaptations of them. Uh, and it and it's and it is the sort of it's sort of, it, it is the connecting factor in that. It's, it, 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 I think it runs through a lot of it. I'm trying to think of other horror films where the where the uh, where the the, the, the where the where the sort of people caught up in it are important because they are your uh, your guide to it. I suppose I suppose it could be everything. It could be for the, it's their strength of character or the reaction. So everything from Sigourney Weaver in the original Alien to 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 Kurt Russell in the Thing to uh, um, to uh, uh, I can't remember the actor's name, but the in American Werewolf, the, the, the main character's just astonishment that any of this is happening. 
all the way through, which I think is absolutely brilliant. Right the way through to, uh, well, I suppose even to um, Jamie Lee Curtis alongside Donald Blake. You know, a lesser actress would have made that film much more forgettable because all she'd have done would have been to shriek and look pretty. Yeah. But you genuinely respond to uh, to her as a as a sort of rounded individual who can who is who is trying to process what it is they're seeing and trying to understand it. And I think that 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 is. That is that's sort of very a very important thing. Possibly, I would he- he- venture. Possibly a thing that that sort of cheaper, schlockier horror movies forget. They just think, oh, we need a competent, nice-looking cast who can get bumped off yeah. one by one, and they're forgetting that actually it is their reaction, not their literal reaction of screaming and running away and dying, but but their progressive psychological reaction to what's happening to them. That is the thing that that the the way yeah. you know, makes the film work. That's that, that's why I think in why I think it it follows worked so well because the cast was extremely capable and you genuinely can empathise with their their sense of estrangement from the world, the fact they couldn't trust anything and didn't know what was going on around them and you know I think that's uh, um, and it's something that even even in in sort of horror horror adjacent stuff like you know a David Lynch film where the where where it's the quality of the acting that supports the lack of reality or the strangeness of the environment you know it could so easily fall down if you've got a sort of a weak link there so maybe that you need that someone grounding it don't you yeah i guess when it's something so strange like david lynch you need you need to have like a conduit for the viewer to be like in that world so you need someone that's real and you're believable yeah and i presume i presume also that's one of the reasons that peter cushing was the star of so many uh hammer films because he had gravitas i mean he had genuine gravitas and we, as a younger person, I often used to watch Hammer films going, why is an actor as good and distinguished as Peter Cushing lowering himself to these levels of yeah. crapness? And then you're going, no, that's precisely why. He is a vital companion. It's not just he's a star and they need a star. He, is, he brings a, a, a strength of solemnity to these films that, that allow them to function. Otherwise, they would sort of sort of take up, take off under their own flimsiness and blow away the wind. <coughs> you need him to sort of ground the, the the nature of what's going on. And I think that's true of the other my other favourite Hammer films. All have an, a, an unusually commanding performance in the middle of them. So, for instance, um, uh, Doctor Jekyll and Sister Hyde, where where both uh, I can't remember the actor's male actor's name. It's gone completely. But both he and uh, the female lead are great, completely believable um, in in, the, in their roles. And and also one of the reasons my favourite uh, mummy film is let me get this right. Which one is it? Is it Curse of the Mummy or the the one that's set in the sixties? The Hammer film that's set in the sixties and it's got the spectacular actress who's oh god I've blanked completely which is not something <laughs> you need to want to pocket I wasn't expecting to go there. Um, uh, she was the she was the woman in the high karate adverts. This incredibly glamorous British actress, and she plays the the young socialite who essentially is is body swapped for the for the the mummified queen, and she's absolutely brilliant because she looks like the sort of girl who'd only be in a Hammer film because of her figure. Uh, you know, she's a sort of sort of. Uh, we can't get Raquel Welch, so we'll cast you instead. <laughs> yeah. uh, but she turns in a really good performance, a genuinely good performance, um, which is sort of personable and funny and likable, and sort of shows that she was a better actress than her 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 famous pin-up looks sort of uh, uh, suggested. 
uh, and, and absolutely holds the film together as a result of that, because you're not expecting the kind of female victim in the middle of a Hammer film to be the be the linchpin that, that holds it together. So mm -hmm. I think that to me, the best of the best of the Hammer films have got that in it. They've got a a, a really terrific uh, central performance, often in an unexpected place. No, I think when it comes to like low budget films in general, it's the one thing that you don't have to like pay for really is like good performances because you know I mean. Yeah, you want to might want to buy for a film star, but that doesn't actually mean they're going to be the best performance. Whereas if you can't afford the special effects, the sets, and everything, if you've got that good core central performance, and they can sort of sell anything, really. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, and I think a lot of films, car like I said, a lot of horror films, because they often border on the ex exploitation, they cast people for obvious visual reasons. You know, a particularly handsome leading man, or a particularly beautiful girl, or a particularly wicked-looking whatever. Um, and I think, um, whereas when they're working really, really well, is when they go for for um, uh, uh, character actors who who can really command those sort of things. Uh, so I think that's uh, yeah, I think that, that that is a very important part of, of of when they work and when they when they don't work. Uh, yeah. It's it, yes, yes. Quality of script, quality of performance are the things that anchor those those uh, mm -hmm. those, those sort of films that you can the oddly in 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 a, in a genre where you think special effects would be one of the priorities, as both of these films demonstrate, they can be oddly poor, and the film still carry enormous weight. You know, sort of uh, because you, if you get the other the other parts of it right, I think um, I think the greatest horror films. Are, whether they are explicitly gory or not, carry that psychological weight. And they're about the human reaction to things. So if it's just, like I said, if it's just a number of, of sort of paper-thin characters who scream and die, there is no identification with them and, and, and you're, you're sort of wondering what the hell's going on. Whereas, whereas ones that bother to build characters that you sort of uh, relate to or, or at least relate to their reactions to things, I think it has a, has a, 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 strong, a strong hold on people. Are you yeah, a particular a fan of Hammer, or is it? Is something um, you... I, I'm Hammer. Something I've got into more recently. Um, uh, I'm, my like area of like horror is more the seventies, eighties, sort of more exploitation, sort of trashy slasher movies and stuff. But um, doing this podcast, quite a few people have asked for Hammer films, so I've sort of had to watch them. And um, there's a regular like, horror night. I live in Essex and in Colchester. There's a um, regular horror night where they put on. Um, mm hammer films and stuff so i've seen a lot of them for the first time like i well the next episode of this podcast is about dracula ad 1972 oh, which is favorite. one i saw at that which i love again later later but yeah. i love that film yeah i think that's great good fun silly silliness yeah very um, very silly very 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 sort of uh sort of updated for its age and uh that's i think yeah. i think carolyn monroe's in that one and valerie leon's in 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 the curse of the Curse of, or Blood from the Mummy's Tomb or whatever the hell it's called. But if you haven't seen Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, watch it. Yeah, well, it, I will, yeah. It's the sort of mummy equivalent of that. Uh, and I quite like the oddities of the Hammer Hammer films. Um, things like Captain Kronos, uh, which is just such an odd film and made absolutely brilliant by the fact that it was written by Brian Clemens, who, who did The Avengers and, and The Professionals and stuff like that. So it's got a really solid script and it's such an unlikely combination of elements that it's clearly I believe it was intended to be sort of the, the pilot of a, a series of film adventures about this vampire hunter uh, which never happened but the, the original film is is, is terrific but uh, yes and you you talk about the 70s and the 80s films um, you know a, a fan of many of those but again it's where you have a, an element of 
true flair, like, I don't know, Dario Argenta, you know, sort of doing something with what would otherwise be a pretty unpleasant piece of filmmaking and just doing it with such dash and verb that you go, well, actually, that's, that's terrific. In the same way that, that, you know, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is like, that should not be anything more than a video nasty. It should be a, 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 a sort of a despicable sort of grosser exploitation thing, but it's not. It's a properly brilliant piece of filmmaking. Um, so yeah. it's, yeah, we're done, done on a small budget with incredibly inventive ways. So, so I'm, I'm with you there. I think if you, if you, if you, if you, if you know what to look for, there are some truly brilliant things. Definitely. And it's like, again, especially when it comes to the eighties where they were just churning out sort of trashy films, you've got to sort of search for the diamonds in the rough a bit. But they're there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't mind watching the rough personally, but um... no, no, there is a pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Yes, 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 yes. The, yes the, 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 that, that sense, sense of a film being so bad, it's good. I absolutely agree with you there. And therefore, it often comes to surprise where a film is, as I said earlier on, so much better than it needed to be. Mm-hmm. It just needed to need to be a video nasty, and it's not. It's a really good film, and then you end up going, "Oh gosh, actually, that's that's that sort of." I've reacted to that more profoundly than I was expecting to because it was, I was just going to laugh my way through it, but I yeah. can't uh, because it sort of got to me, which I think is. I always uh, think great. the uh, Evil Dead is a good example of that yeah. as well. A film, yeah, that's like I think it goes to show that you know a filmmaker like Sam Raimi's obviously gone on to make these huge blockbuster films, uh, you know, Spider Man and things. He's doing the new Doctor Strange film actually, isn't he? Yeah. He is. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, like you can see that is obviously that talent's always been there because you watch the evil dead and it was made with like no money with his mates over like a summer in the woods and it just works so well it's just such a well-made film and then evil dead 2 is like builds on that and is you know one of the best films ever made for me evil dead 2 it's just so well, good yeah yeah no i would agree and i think i i think it's interesting that i i think I think uh it's, it's interesting that it seems to me that horror particularly seems to be such a, uh, a, a, a cradle for truly talented filmmakers uh, because they're, they're, so many of them have sort of ended up in, in that genre sort of straight out of film school because they wanted to make something and horror, they, they, they sort of, they, in a sense they've made horror because it's sort of cheap and nasty and they can do it as a laugh and no one will take it seriously. Um, <clears throat> and with absolutely zero budget, they have had to be so inventive. So the films have relied on their ability to make great films rather than on magnificent yeah. extra bits and pieces, which is why Raimi with Evil Dead was so, so memorable. Why Hooper was so memorable with, uh, with uh, uh, Chainsaw Massacre. Why, why Argenta was so memorable with the, the early low budget uh, Gallo films. And um, why um, it was some, actually so many others. You think about things like uh, Peter Jackson, obviously, yeah. you know, his early films were very similar to, to Sam Raimi, where he just made a film with his mates. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And, you know, Lord of the Rings, there's like yeah, exactly. the most sort of effective, huge, giant epics may ever made, really. Yeah. It's that ability to handle things and, and to, to produce effects on, on, on very loud. And it's quite interesting when you think about, about filmmakers and, and sort of their memorable starting films. Because uh, when you say that, I will also think of uh, Spiel. I don't think it was Spielberg's very first film, but he sort of noted his first film was Duel, which was just a made-for-television thing that should have been forgettable within hours of seeing it. But it's still brilliant. And it's because that he had an incredibly incredible eye for, yeah. for putting together the suspense and tension. Um, but I think it, is, it, is, it should be remarked that, that horror movies are this, this unusually productive uh, birthing place for, for truly great cinematic talent. Um, I think because a lot of horror films are so reliant on visuals and good 
like good camera work and things like this, it's probably a good place to hone your skills, isn't it? Mm. Because you it's you can make something terrifying just with just a little slight tilt of a camera. You know, it's uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yes, yes. Some of the some of those. I mean. <clears throat> Famously, there's the the, 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 the the lens effect that, that Spielberg uses in Jaws, uh, which everybody talks about as, as being being you know sort of the the greatest use of that that thing, which now gets overused all the time. But but horror movies again are full of things like that, where it is simply as you say that just the tilt or turn or, or focus pull on a camera that creates a sense of menace or dread or or dislocation or whatever like that. And the, the film stands or falls on that, and that is entirely down to the ability of the filmmaker. It's not just a matter of you know, a good performance or something like that. I think that's, uh, I think that's, uh, it's, it's worth remembering that because it's, um, um, it, it, it's sort of great to, it's almost like early horror films are great to dismantle in terms of watching how clever the actual process of filmmaking is. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask, um, go, go, yeah, go ahead. So you obviously, you've been speaking a lot about the more classic horror and you mentioned, um, it follows, but are there any other, um, uh, like more contemporary films that you've, you like especially if they've got like the similar um, feeling that the classic horror films have. Is there anything that you can think of that you've enjoyed? I, I'm trying to think. Uh, I I do. I have always had an incredible fondness, actually, weirdly, for Australian movies, Australian and mm. New Zealand movies um, of of all genres. I don't, I don't know. There, there is something about the sort of uh, Australian New Zealand sensibility that that creates stuff that seems to be both very familiar and very different from the, the sort of equivalent films that would be made in Britain and, and the US. Um, but they both, Australia particularly, has this great tradition of, of making genuinely creepy um, films. Uh, not, I'm not necessarily talking about contemporary ones, although I think they're sort of, you know, still perfectly capable of doing it now. But they have a, they have a sort of otherworldly thing that goes right the way back to the spookiness of things like Picnic and Hang Rock and, and Walkabout. But uh, I, I remember just being completely freaked out by what is it called? Long Weekend, which I think is a late seventies. Oh, I don't know that one. No. Which is uh, which is basically an ecological horror about a, a couple who were on the brink of divorce deciding to go out in their camper van for the weekend and get away from it all and try and uh, try and reconcile their differences. And they leave Sydney on a busy Friday night in the middle of a heatwave and drive into the outback. And on the on, driving along, they knock they accidentally knock down a kangaroo. And it's like from that point on nature's coming to get them and it is just so terrifyingly creepy it's just sort of brilliant and and and, and again you, if you've done that film if you've done the same storyline in the uk where they'd driven out of london on a saturday night a friday night and knocked down a deer it wouldn't have the same you mm. know there's there's something there's something there's something that i think the australians are very good about be, be aware of how much their 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 landscape can bite back so I think it's sort of uh, Australian science fiction and horror often draws upon what we have latterly come to think of as folk horror. Uh, and we rest our folk horror in in sort of traditional Britishisms going back, you know, obviously, very obvious things like Wicker Man and uh, Witchfinder General and, and that kind of stuff. But the Australian thing goes literally back into the landscape, to the sort of the, 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 certainly the history of the peoples that were there in the first place, rather than the history of the, 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 the colonials that have taken over, uh, as if it's, if it's a curse that's coming back to haunt them. So, so I, I very much enjoyed, enjoyed that. So, uh, the Babadook was, a, I thought, was a really good film. Um, yeah, yeah, fantastic film. And uh, and in terms of the British the British folk horror stuff, I think um, oh, and I can't remember his name now, so I, I will apologise. But uh, the guy who made Kill List and then made a field. Oh, Ben England, Wheatley. Thank you. Uh, he's just just got a gift for for doing that. 
where he does things that are remarkably unnerving without necessarily always being explicit. I mean, he, mm. he there is a there is a kind of ordinariness to that. I, I another strand of the things that I've liked over the years has been has been the uh, particularly in the early seventies the sort of strange television products not only things like a ghost story at christmas but some of the things like um sort of folk things we now regard as folk horror like robin redbreast and um uh children of the stones and and, and eerie programs like that uh, often well, children of the stones was was a kid's show but it was it's still terrifying um wheatley seems to me to be part of that legacy where he's he's making things that are sort of grounded in in a recognizable world yet are strangely bizarre and um uh, and I thought of a field in England I thought was was particularly profoundly good because it seemed such an unlikely story to tell, and yet they told it brilliantly and had the most super again superb black and white photography, which which links it to Night of the Demon I suppose that it just it looked amazing and that had that lush depth of darkness to uh, to it, which is, is yeah, which is, yeah, he seems very very good Ben Wheatley and I think Kill List is a film that pro- very much like took me by surprise. I was not mm. expecting a film like it was and. Uh, a very like unnerving throughout, like the the more realistic stuff, and then the sort of the the sort of terrifying twist ending, and it's yeah, yeah it's yeah. I, I can't recommend that film enough. It's not an easy watch, but that's sort it's of like not, the point really of it, isn't, isn't it? Yeah. No, of the two, Field in England is an easier watch, but but mm. Kill List is 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 probably the better film, even though it's it's just so sort of uh, disturbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a very disturbing film. But um, I'm trying to think what else I've watched in the last... I've, I've, I think I've watched things that are horror-adjacent rather than being specifically horror. Um, uh, I mentioned It Follows, uh, and then also the film he made after that, which was Under the Silver Lake, or Under a Silver Lake. Yeah, I've not seen that yet. Which has sort of got quite horror-ish or weird elements to it, and I think is, a, is, is probably a less successful film because it's not as neat, it's not as neatly put together. But it's 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 I found it really entertaining because it's so strange and it's so full of sort of treasures. There's every scene has got an oddness to it and a, and it goes off in tangents and and does things and it doesn't explain itself yet it seems to be explaining itself and it's got it's got and I hesitate to use the word but it's got a very Lynchian feel to it. It's mm. um it's uh, so um I sort of I I I watched I, I started watching because I'd like the like it follows and we um. We watched it during lockdown and uh, sort of 20 minutes in, I thought, I'm going to turn this off. It's not, you know, it's going to fail the 15 minute rule. And I'm just, you know, I'm not going to stick with this. Um, but I did. And I just really, really enjoyed it. And I, I enjoyed the uh, that sense of defamiliarization that get you get with a with a I say it's not explicitly horror, but we get with a good horror film where it, every, everything seems so normal. And yet it clearly absolutely isn't. Um, and it's got some very. Best... That's one of the thing. Yeah, one of the things that worked with it follows as well is that the like you said earlier, the characters in it were very great actors, but also like they felt like real people. But there was weird little elements in there that felt otherworldly. Like I always remember a scene where she's like texting, but she's on a phone, which is actually like a sort of makeup case thing. Mm-hmm. It almost gives it a weird sort of like, what is the universe is in? Is it science fiction? Is it sort of? It was very weird, and I think there's little elements of that where it was like we're not sure what this world is, but like you said earlier, it sticks to its own laws. Yeah. Throughout the- it does. And and it also resists, I think it would, given the fact that it follows is a film that, that is very much is a, is essentially a very simple idea that, 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 that of itself is not necessarily surprising. 
what I love about it is that it avoids doing all the tropes. So there are moments in it where you think that you think to yourself, something horrible is about to happen, and I can guess what that horrible thing is going to be. And yet it doesn't. That thing doesn't happen. It doesn't ever go the way you think it's going to go. But it goes in a very logical progress. So that the you know so so I, I, again, not going to spoil it by mentioning particular pieces, but there there are, there are moments the, the moment where they're tied up in the sort of underground car park, and you think, oh, this is going to end badly, and it and it sort of does, but not in the way mm. you expect it's going to end, end badly. Um, I, I think that's 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 a, that's a, that's another clever thing is is to is to not do the obvious to, to sort of. To do something that, that twists something and takes it by surprise, I think is uh, is 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 very effective. I'm trying to think what else I've, I've watched. So many films in lockdown. There must have been other yeah. other other horror films that I've watched. Uh, that's the one that's that, that's clearly the one that stuck stuck out though. That, that mm. is, is having a, a a proper proper feel to it. So what? I, I, let me throw it back the other way around. Then what 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 contemporary horror films have you rated particularly in the last few years that you you think are? Um. There's a few like there's this um there's sort of these more like arty films that have been released quite a lot recently where like the critics are like horror films that people are okay to like where I don't like the snobbery element but they're, mm-hmm. they're genuinely quite good so like Hereditary and Midsummer I really enjoyed oh yes, yeah yeah Midsommar. yeah uh, yeah particularly enjoyed that and uh, I think Get Out was amazing that oh, was like oh, one yes. of the best yeah. horror films I've seen in a long time and uh, Jordan Peele's follow up to that Us was very good much more of a horror film than Get Out. Mm. And yeah, very, yeah, again, very good. And um, again, not don't necessarily know if it's a horror film as such, but um, Green Room. I don't know if you've seen Green Room about a uh, a touring punk band that get like trapped. They play at a club, and it's a sort of a white power Nazi skinhead club, and they um, they witness a murder in there, and they get locked in. It's all like a siege movie, a bit like a sort of Precinct Thirteen almost, where they're like there's this punk band that are stuck in this like dressing room of this club. And they're trying to get out, and it's just a very good thriller. But it is also quite scary, and it has really good, like it's quite violent. Again, not an easy watch because the violence in it is quite Mm. stark. But it's, um, yeah, really good. And that's a film I was, again, I was not expecting it to be that good. I could have watched it because I'm into punk music and like that sort Mm. of stuff. And um, yeah, fantastic. You said yes, I certainly get out. I'll have to watch that. That sounds really good. You mentioned Get Out as being really good. Get Out to me, like uh, it follows. It's particularly successful because it takes regular horror tropes and then attaches to them to something that is is of much more modern importance. I mean, Get Out is obviously about uh, race, culture, and society, which 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 is it's, it's sort of comes at you so unexpectedly because of the the nature of what's going on. And in fact, those are the most shocking and horrible parts of it are the are the are the sort of racism that it exposes. In the same way that it follows takes it follows is essentially Night of the Demon. Which is essentially casting the rooms. It's the idea that you, you know, you, sort of, you you take a curse upon yourself and you can't get rid of it unless you can shed it onto somebody else who then becomes the victim of it. So it's exactly like Mr. James, um, but obviously there they place it in the the idea of teenage uh, relationships, and therefore it has this this there's a metaphor of sexually transmitted disease and everything like that, which I think is is an extremely interesting take because it sort of it's that sort of both both borrows and then undermines so many of the things that horror films tend to usually be about young people promiscuity all those sorts of things and it's like yeah. no that's the, the heart of this um, and i guess that's always been a theme with like teenage based slasher movies and stuff isn't it really that like mm. it's always the sort of cliche that the teenagers that have sex they're the ones that are going to die you know it's the sort of more promiscuous the ones that yeah. are taking drugs they're the ones that die and it's um i guess like it follows takes that to the like extreme almost isn't it is literally if you have sex you're done yes. for 
Yeah, yeah. yeah I, th- I think that's. Uh, I think that's. Uh, uh, it was. It was. Just, I just thought it was a very clever thing to do. Uh, and 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 I'm trying to remember the name of it, but the, you mentioned uh, you say Green Room, which sounded really really interesting. But that reminded me, what is the name of the uh, quite recent film about the um, uh, the the sound effects engineer who oh, goes Barbarian Sound Studio? Barbar- yes, Barbarian Sound yeah, Studio. I amazing love that film. I love yeah. that film. Yeah, really good because because again, it uh, it, it was a knowing film. Uh, but understood what it was talking about and the references it was making very cleverly all the way along. Uh, it, it had that enclosed sense. I think claustrophobia is another thing that, that, that often works really, really well. So, you know, Green Room is clearly in a room. Uh, field in England is clearly in a field. You know, it's sort of, you can, you can re- if you can restrict where your, where your cast can get to. And that also, because it's almost, almost, you know, it's in the studio or, the, or, the, or even the sound booth itself. It's sort of very restricted. Um, and the fact that they they... They they convey the horror by the sound effects he's making. Mm. So he becomes deeply disturbed by the things he's being forced to watch, which we do not basically we basically don't see. But what we see is the things that he's forced to simulate, which I thought was an inspired inspired mm. idea, and much more disturbing than anything they could have shown us. I think yeah. that's a yeah. No, I love that film. I th- I think um, well, I'm a big fan of like Dario Argento and those sort of yeah. Italian Jalo sort of films. So it was. Yeah, that film was very much up my alley. And um, Peter Strickland, is it? I think the director of that, he made yeah. a film called In Fabric. Have you seen that? Uh, no, that's next on my list. That's that, that's, that's very good. Very yeah. strange. It's almost, it's got a lot of comedy in it as well. It's almost, yeah, it's, it's very good. Yeah, really good. Yeah. And he made a, um, a, ra- a bit for the BBC, a radio version of The Stone Tape. Oh, right. Which is really good. It's got uh, Julian Barrett in it, you know, from uh, mm-hmm. The Mighty Boosh and people like that. But it's not comedy. It's very much a straight sort of telling of um, the stone tape as a radio play. And it's really good. It works perfectly. The stone tape as a radio play, something of being about sound again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. I can't recommend that enough. Oh, I'll have to check that out. And I, I didn't, I didn't realize he'd, uh, he, he was the guy who made in fabric, which is say had been, been sitting on my, my list of, of films I will probably watch. So uh, yeah. 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 I know I bought, I bought that film because it was in HMV. It had a little like, our staff recommends and it said Dario Argento meets uh, Mike Lee and I was like yeah that's a, that's a film for me <laughs> yeah <laughs> two of my two of my dads combined there <laughs> yeah no that, that would have sold it to me as well I think that, absolutely yeah <laughs> thank you very much I love that that was great oh I really enjoyed it thank you for inviting me on um... no, 